0: This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. The blue wave that swept through the state last Tuesday wasn't as big as some had predicted, but anger over Donald Trump at the top of the Republican ticket did help Democrats gain seats in the state's General Assembly, giving Governor Ned Lamont an even bigger majority to work with. Among the seats that flipped from red to blue was the 114th House District, where Mary Wheeler became the first Democrat in 22 years to grab the seat. That's in large part because Republican House Minority Leader Themis Claridis decided not to run for re-election there. Claridis has been part of Republican leadership at the Capitol for years, and she's clashed with both Democrats and Republicans who, she says, sometimes pay more attention to Trumpian talking points than Connecticut residents. She's formed a political action committee that she says is meant to end one-party rule in the state, and she seems to be a likely front-runner for the party's nomination for governor in 2022. We talked last Friday while votes were still being counted in the presidential election, and as she was assessing both her career and how Republicans fared in this year's elections in the state. What did you learn over 22 years of serving in the Connecticut State Legislature, what are some what are some things you really learned that you've you've taken away from this experience?
1: I learned that being the leader of a caucus is like herding cats,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and you know it's not only just about writing budgets and doing these and passing bills and putting policy together, but it's also about managing people. Uh, you know, you have all these people in a caucus, and they all have their own lives and families and problems, and you You know, I always say I'm a full service leader because, you know, somebody has a family problem. You have to, you know, deal with that. Somebody has a problem. They have a fight with another member. They want their office moved. They don't like their parking space. I mean, these are things that happen uh, every day. But, you know, I I guess the biggest thing I learned is, is that, you know, most people that run for office do so for the right reasons. Um, And you can see the people that don't, you can see the people that are concerned for themselves or have their own agenda. And whatever side of the aisle we're on, I think people mostly want to work together. You know, it's the only place where you can come in. You can be 25 years old and have a colleague that's 80. And you're both peers. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of the, you get there, and, and, and you're like, oh, with these people, I don't have anything in common with them. And then you start working with them, and then you have the most in common with them because you're there for the same reason. You know, you're there for the same reason.
0: This idea of of herding cats, has that become more difficult in the Republican caucus over the course of the last couple of years? It seems as though, um, to extend your metaphor, there's just like a wider variety of of cats (laughs) these days from a political standpoint.
1: Um, Yes and no, not really, because I mean, we may have differing of opinions, but, you know, we've been very proud in the House Republicans that we are a family and we walk out of that room, that caucus room no matter what arguments we may or may not have or disagreements that, you know, there are certain things we come together on that are caucus positions and are important to be that way, which are typically fiscal matters. And otherwise, people are generally there to vote their conscience and and their district. But I'll tell you, the Democrat caucus, particularly the House Democrat caucus, has had a much more difficult time with um, the herding cats. Than, than we have. I mean, they're, they're just, the difference in the range of different opinions in that caucus, I mean, obviously, you know, the outgoing speaker and, and uh, Representative Ritter, we, we all work very closely together and the difficulty they've had w- would be something that I don't know if I would ever want to deal with because it's huge differences and they are bigger blocks of those huge differences, well, I think.
0: But 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 that's the thing. I mean, I think that's the other problem for Republicans in the state is th- th- it may be true that Democrats have a lot more variety, but they've also got a lot more cats, right? Like t- almost twice as many after this this election. Mm-hmm. A- and so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of differences in a nearly 100-person 100, 100 caucus. Why do you think that Republicans had such a hard time during this last election?
1: Well, listen, we had the harder time two, oh, two years ago. We lost more seats two years ago. And if you bring if we bring ourselves up until that time period, um, Governor Malloy got elected in 2010. From 2010 to 2016, the House we beat 35 Democrats in the House. Unprecedented amount of numbers, particularly in a state that's predominantly Democrat. Thirty five, basically, in three elections. That changed in 2018, and that changed for one reason, because Donald Trump was on, he wasn't on the ballot in 18, but he had now been president for two years. And people, whether it's right or wrong, whether you agree or you don't agree, people have a very, very emotional and visceral uh, reaction to him. But the bigger problem is, if they dislike him, the result has now become that I dislike all Republicans. I mean, I had a man tell me two years ago, Themis, I've been a Democrat my whole life. Um, you've represented me for 20 years. I think you're great. I voted for you every time. I just don't know if I can vote for you this time because of Donald Trump. I said, I go, you're a lawyer and you've been involved politically for many years. And although I appreciate your vote and your, your confidence, what in God's name do I have to do with who the president of the United States is? You know, people run for president, they run for Congress, they run for US Senate because they wanna deal with federal issues. And we run for state rep, state senator, governor, you know, that kind of thing because we believe in state issues. the state is falling apart. And so you're going to vote against your own financial interests because you have to deal, you don't like a man, which is fine. I mean, you can like him, you can hate him, it's, you know, that's your decision. But you don't like him, so I somehow have to do with it. And that's, that's been the main difference in 18 where we lost 10 seats. You know, and this year
0: we only lost seven, which was enough. But 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 do you think that that your party hasn't done a good enough job differentiating that for for voters, basically saying not just I'm not Donald Trump, but that I repudiate the things that you don't like about Donald Trump. I repudiate some of the racist statements that he's made, because if you don't say that out loud, people will think, well, you're part of the same party.
1: You know, and I, I have said it out loud, you know, I've said it out loud many times, you know. I've I've done it on social media, I've said publicly I don't care if I disagree with every single thing you say, you know. Um there's there's no place for sexism, for racism, for you know, any ism. There's no place for, you know, being a jerk to people, although sometimes I'm a jerk to people, but in a charming way, John. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean I it's do. this it's this whole And and social media has made it worse because he he and everybody else have the ability to say whatever they want 24-7. You know, it's a shame because, you know, his economic policies, I think, if we're just being completely objective here, you know, have helped a lot of this country. But it doesn't matter because, you know, I can have the best policies in the world if you just don't like me because I'm obnoxious or I'm, you know, a, a jerk to people. It doesn't matter. People don't care. And, you know, so I have done it. I know a lot of my colleagues have done it. We've reputed the way he acts and responds to things. Um,
0: You know, the state
1: party may not have done it enough, but let's be honest, in this day and age, it's the House and Senate Republican caucus and the House and Senate Democrat caucus that run the party message, right? That run the party message. The state party is not something that people are as focused on. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. We may have not done that as a whole. I mean, just because I've done it uh, maybe you should have done it more. You know, some of our members have done it. Maybe they should have done it more. I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's unfortunate that people are voting against their own self-interest in a state, in any state, whether it's Connecticut or others, because they don't like, you know, they don't like the president. Because let's let's be honest about this. A Connecticut Republican is not an Idaho Republican, right? It's not an Alabama Republican, I mean, in fact, the running joke is if I were a Republican in any of those states, they'd probably not allow me in because I'm very moderate and I'm very you know, socially liberal. And I believe that people should be left alone to do their own thing socially. But we should have, you know, we should be very responsible with our budgeting and our, our finances and be, you know, and be, we say fiscally conservative, but it's really just fiscally responsible is what it is. And so that's another part of the issue where the, the party is so different in different parts of the country. But the Democrat Party is, too, in a lot of ways.
0: I I wanted to to get to a a quote, actually, I I heard the other day from J.R. Romano, who is the outgoing um, uh, chair of the the GOP in the state. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about what what needs to happen at at that level when he leaves. But this is on Fox 61, and they were asking him to respond to what what had happened in the election the other day. And the first part of his, his answer was, I think we need to get better at explaining the nuance of the damage the Democratic Party is doing to the middle class which sounds an awful lot to me, Themis Claredes, like what you just said, right? That people are, in your view, voting against their own self-interest because they uh, they don't like Donald Trump or they don't like something else that, that Republicans are doing. I guess the question is, after this many years of... Republicans taking it on the chin in the state of Connecticut, is it quite possible that people actually know what's in their best interest and that the policies that they're voting for that Democrats put forward are actually the policies that they want, that there's something substantially wrong about what Republicans in the state are putting forward as their policy proposal?
1: Well, sir, Listen, anything is possible. You know, but from my vantage point, you know, J.R. Romano making that comment Maybe, maybe then when he make, when he talks about those nuances, maybe he shouldn't stand there with Trump signs behind his head when he's making those comments. Okay. I mean, these are things that people notice, right? These are things that people notice. If you want to focus on Connecticut, focus on Connecticut. You shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be pressing for who the president is or should or shouldn't be. We should have been focusing, you know, from the state party level about what's going on in Connecticut. So that's one, one comment. Second comment is I don't, I don't really agree with your premise because if that were the case, then from 2010 to 2018, we wouldn't have won 35 seats. Here's the problem. People vote are voting because they don't like this man. And then two months later comes and session starts in January And then the governor starts putting out different policies the democrats start putting out different policies and we get inundated with thousands of emails and calls why are you doing this i can't afford one more tax i can't afford to live in my house i have to i can't wait till my husband retires or my child graduates from school so we can move out of the state because it's not affordable anymore and we certainly can't afford to retire here that's the problem right they vote People vote the way they vote, and I'm not saying that there are no policies that they agree with. I get, you know, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to everything both sides have done, no question. But typically, we see people voting with their pocketbooks, right? If they can, if their if their life is going well, if they can afford to live where they're living, if they can pay their mortgage, if if you know, if 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 typically they vote that way. I will say this: that in Connecticut we have some of the highest taxes in the country, right? In the past 10 years, we have passed the two highest tax increase in the state's history, the highest borrowing ever. We have enormous unfunded pension liabilities that are just going to go on, you know, your kids and your grandkids. That's who's going to suffer from all of this. You know, every business can't get out of here fast enough. Um, And those are all those policies. So we've had one party rule for 10 years. We've had a Democrat-controlled House and Senate Majority for 48 of 50 years, basically. So, Republican and Democrat governors come and go. But the thing that has remained constant is that legislature where the buck really stops. But I don't think most people, whether they're Republican or Democrat, believe that one party controlling everything is good for the state of the country. You know, I think even if it was Republicans that were in charge of everything, I don't think that's that healthy either. I just don't. You know, it's good for that dynamic to have different opinions and and have to argue them and debate them and and fight them because that's how we typically not always but typically come up with the best results
0: tell me a little bit more about what your plans are now what you're hoping to do in politics if indeed that pack and some of the things you've been talking about are the direction you're going
1: um the goal is to get the message out there that hasn't been as effectively gotten out there as need to be clearly uh, based on the results, that we are Connecticut Republicans and we have responsible policies for the state of Connecticut to make this place a place that you can live in in an affordable way, a place you can retire in, a place your kids can leave to go to college if they choose and then come back because there's jobs to be had. And then, you know, they can afford to buy a house or, you know, whatever they want to do when they live here. And right now, that's clearly not the case. So the point is to get that message out to as broad a group as possible in Connecticut, because we just believe that the po- I mean, listen, it is what it is, but for COVID, people were were running out of this state in droves. I've been here my whole life. My family is from here. I will probably stay, but most people don't feel that way. How many times a day do you hear people say, now we have to separate COVID, right? Because people are trying to come here now because they're afraid to be in New York, similar to 9-11. But every realtor you talk to believes that's not gonna last more than another six months. Our economic policy cannot be, let's hope for a pandemic. Right. So people come here. And that's basically where we are right now.
0: I, I think many people, many people feel feel that way, but obviously most people don't, because if most people did, then we would have you know we would have zero population in the state. And I one thing I guess I'm wondering about though is is we can't we can't put aside the fact that because there was a pandemic or because you know twenty years ago there was nine eleven, um people do sometimes Think about where they want to live based on a whole bunch of other issues. For instance, um, if you look at the places in America that believe that climate change is real and happening and going to affect their lives, places like South Florida, South Texas, places that have a whole lot of Republican voters... And maybe not voters who necessarily vote on climate change issues all the time are like, man, I can't live here anymore because I keep getting killed by by floods and hurricanes and I know that this is happening, right? People vote for things in their own self-interest other than just where you pay the most taxes. And I wonder if Connecticut is positioned in some way without having this big hub where people get packed together. Maybe a post-pandemic um, place that is insulated in some ways from climate change, is a good location for a whole lot of people to go.
1: Mm-hmm. No, listen, there's certainly many reasons people live where they live. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, and you're right. I mean, if every single person thought that, we would have nobody living here. But you know exactly what point I'm trying to make here. I mean, this has been, our population has gone down year after year after year, and there's certainly many reasons people stay and go. But there is a I would say that the majority of people, besides the people that leave to move to where their kids are or for reasons you said, which are valid reasons. I mean, I'm not diminishing any of them, but the fact that there's no income tax in Florida and no estate tax in Florida is not a small thing, is not a small thing. I heard when Rick Scott was governor of Florida, I was at an event once, a conference, and he was speaking to the group. And I mean, I didn't know him and he doesn't know me. And I was just one of 100 people in the room. And he was talking about, you know, how their business climate keeps, you know, how it's so friendly and how businesses keep coming to Florida. Businesses are going to Florida, not just people. Okay. And and some of these other states you mentioned. He goes, I want to thank states like Connecticut. And, you know, he names a couple of these other states. He goes, keep doing what you're doing because you're helping me every day. And so you're right. There are many reasons people go where they go. But I would would argue that the majority of them, and I'm sure you hear it every day, just like I do and, and we all do. I can't wait till my husband or wife retires. I can't wait till my child graduates from high school, whatever the case may be, because we're leaving, whether it's to the Carolinas or Florida, or Arizona, wherever they're going. And economy makes a difference. People, it matters to people.
0: So, so what do you do differently in your next role to get this message across to people? Because clearly not enough voters in Connecticut believe in that message or else you would have Republican majorities and probably a Republican governor sitting in the Capitol right now. What do you do differently, Emma?
1: Well, that's what we've been working on for the past six months. We're we're raising money. We're going to raise more money to do this. We're going to, you know, we we talk, I mean, listen, you can't talk to every person in the state of Connecticut, obviously. Um, But, you know, we're going from now after the election, we've been focused a lot on the election. We've done, you know, we've done ads, we've done digital ads, we've, Um, You know, different kinds of things to try and get that message out. But it's about talking to people about the message that we can have a state that stays out of your life, stays out of your bedroom. But there's a lot of things that Connecticut Republicans believe in. And I think they're more broad than most people think because they look at what's happening nationally. Right. They look at what's happening in these super conservative states that we may agree with them financially, but we don't agree with them socially. So I think it's making sure people understand that.
0: Yeah, but that requires a real hard break. I mean, you talked about, you know, J.R. Romano talking with Trump signs behind him before. It's more than just making a little bit of progress along that way. You have to make a hard break and say, Connecticut Republicans are just different than what you hear elsewhere. We care about LGBTQ rights. We, we, We care about systemic racism in America, because if you don't start to make that issue a part of the platform, there's a whole lot of people who will never come over to the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to make that hard break with the national Republicans that don't really represent Connecticut?
1: Well, listen, I will just tell you from my perspective, and that's why I've won towns for 22 years in my district that, you know, are more Democrat, because I personally have done that. Now, the question is how to get that message out to the party. and Everybody doesn't believe it, okay? But I think the majority of Republicans in Connecticut do. You know, I will say standing up on the floor of the House and doing press releases and press conferences as leader, as the only woman leader, by the way, of Democrats or Republicans, you know, and still after this election, I will still have been the only woman leader, you know, so you want to talk about what Republicans stand for. You know, I'm the only woman leader, woman in a group for the past six years that were, you know, the Democrats are supposed to be this big party, this big tent, women, women, minorities, whatever group they want to talk about. I'm the only woman in the whole place, you know, as, as the Republican leader. Um, You know, I've stood up there. I've, I've done press conferences, press releases, you know, publicly been involved in a lot of these issues. And, but that needs to get out statewide, right? That needs to get, that doesn't mean we're all going to agree on everything. I mean, that's never going to happen, whether you're Republicans, Democrats, or whatever. But 20 years ago, I was, I was, I went to a convention or well, i think it was one of the it must have been yeah it was one of the bush conventions in 43. i was a delegate i think it was 2004 and one of the big things from the delegates in connecticut and some other states around the country was to um petition the rnc to take uh the, the pro the pro life platform that's a plank of our of our party uh, nationally out now obviously that didn't change uh, but these are things we have to keep fighting for. That doesn't mean it should be pro-choice, but it should. We should. I don't think we should politically weigh in on that at that point. You know, another example is when Mitt Romney was running. I was a delegate, and I they put me on a platform committee, which was their biggest. You know, their biggest regret probably after the fact. <laughs> I didn't know I had to be there in the morning. I didn't get there until after lunch. I went in. There's two people from each state on this platform committee, and somebody raises their hand at one point, and I just sat there and listened because I had just walked in. Somebody raises their hand, one of the delegates, and says, I would like to put an amendment, because the way they do the platform is similar to how we operate on the floor. If there's an amendment to the platform, they put it on, and either pastor doesn't, to make civil unions part of our platform. So I, I raised my hand. I go, second, literally, you. It, it was like I took all my clothes off and stood there in the middle of the, of the aisle, because what apparently had happened was there was a woman from Rhode Island, was on the platform committee she was one of the delegates that that morning and she really felt strongly about supporting civil union. it was civil unions at the time but it wasn't gay marriage because that wasn't you know that wasn't where we were then and no they weren't going to obviously pass that but she made such a stink about it they they said okay well you call it you can argue it nobody will second it and you know we'll just move along but i think wasn't there so i didn't hear that nobody was supposed to second it so not only did i second it but i stood up and i made my whole argument i go listen connecticut was the first state in the country in 2005 to pass civil unions without judicial interference it is now whatever year that was 10 years later i go the state hasn't fallen apart nobody has you know their quality of life hasn't changed in any negative way you know i think it's something we should do because the reality is whether you're same-sex couple or you are you know a heterosexual couple You have to go to your town hall or city hall to get a marriage license. It's by definition a civil license. If you choose to get married in your church or your synagogue or your temple or whatever, you can. It makes no sense to separate these two. So, you know, like I've been very public about it, but I think we have to make sure that people understand the state, the Republican Party is a big tent.
0: And and I'll just say quickly, that that, that point that you just made though, it's another one of the things that actually does draw people to Connecticut. Because when you had... (laughs) You know, whether it's bathroom bills in North Carolina or whatever else, there's a lot of people who look around America and say, you know, this state might be cheaper to live in, but they don't really seem to like me as a person. They don't really seem to like the way my family looks. And if Connecticut, Republicans and Democrats in Connecticut can see that, then that's a way to attract a whole lot of people, a whole lot of talented people to to a place. But I I guess I, because I didn't want to take too much of your time, I'll ask you one last question about this. All these things you're talking about, do you do this best as a candidate for governor of the state of Connecticut? Or is there some other role that is better for you to play in order to get these messages across?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. And I think that, you know, for right now, um, I don't think my time in public service is over. And I'm going to be making those decisions, you know, in the next few months in regards to what I think how I think I can serve Connecticut best, because I love this state. My family came here from Greece when they were very young and, and you know, started a family and a business here. And no matter how how many complaints we have, I'm one of those people that are like very likely gonna stay here for the long run, because this is my home, but it's gotta operate better. It's gotta operate more efficiently. It's gotta be more affordable or else we're, we're gonna to continue to lose people. You know, we're one of the only states that never came back from the recession of 2009. We can't Again, we can't rely on pandemics as our economic
0: policy. Themis Claritus served 22 years in the Connecticut House of Representatives. Tomorrow night, you can join me for our Connecticut Mirror 2020 election recap called What Just Happened? I'll be joined by my friends Leah Wright-Riguer and Susan Bigelow. You can sign up for this free virtual event, which is sponsored by the League of Women Voters, by going to ctmirror.org slash events. Again, it happens Tuesday night, November 10th at 7 p.m. It'll be great to have you there. Thanks so much to Bruce Potterman, Kyle Constable, and Beth Hamilton. Our Steady Beats are provided by George Mastrianas and Dave Swanson recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. Talk to you soon.